Well, hey, it's great to be back with you guys. My name is Zach. For those that don't know me, thank you. Uh, I have been on sabbatical for the last six weeks. I'm one of the pastors around here. Just really excited to be back with you guys. During our time off, my wife and I, we celebrated our 15-year wedding anniversary, which is a big milestone for us. Yeah, exciting. We got to go to Florida without our kids, and that's the first time we've been without our kids in three years. So that was awesome. If you think about me in May, just always remember to pray for me. I have our anniversary, my wife's birthday, and Mother's Day all in about the same weekend every year. So either I make it or I break it, and there's not much way to make up for it until the next year comes. So I need a lot of, a lot of wisdom to do that well, but we had a great time. And then the rest of the time we were here, our kids are changing schools in the fall, so we we're helping them kind of wrap up with one uh, school and get ready for another. And uh, then about, I guess, a month ago or so, my wife, we had a little health uh, crisis. Her back went out. She has a bulging disc in her back, and that ended, we ended up in the ER, uh, you know, and have been kind of recovering from that. She's been recovering. I've been trying to help that recovery, I guess. Um, but we're on the way up, and so we're excited to be back. And personally, it was a really uh, powerful time of spiritual renewal. I uh, got to meet with a counselor, a mentor, a woman that runs a prayer ministry here in town, plus spent just extended time in prayer and reading. really feel like God's done some fresh work in my heart, so I'm back here full of faith and excited to be with you. Um, we are going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're doing that to study the life and ministry of Jesus. And as we've been going through Luke, we're in a section of the Scripture, like Joe said, where we have come to some of the classic teachings of Jesus. They're recorded in multiple Gospels. In Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain, but it's the same basic essence. This is classic Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're kind of looking in, window shopping, if you will, what would it be like to follow Jesus? You're going to see that up close and personal today. And I think you're going to be in awe and amazed at the type of life that Jesus makes a way for us to live. We're excited that you are here. And if you are a Christian, man, what a reminder of the work of the Spirit in our lives and the type of people that God's calling us to be. Each of these teachings is counterintuitive. It's a little bit like, wait, do things really work that way? But that's because God is making us into a new people, a people that live out of a place of, of character rather than convenience. People that live with conviction rather than just kind of our circumstances and whatever comes our way. Just a, a calling on our lives towards uh, the goodness and the mercy and the beauty and the truth of God. Lives that resound with meaning. That's the type of people that Jesus is building. <clears throat> so we're going to read today the teaching this week and for the next couple weeks is about relationships. So today we're going to read about how do we deal with difficult people in our lives in the way of Jesus. So I want you to think of a difficult person in your life, right? They may be sitting next to you. The seat next to you, that's okay. We all have difficult people in our lives. Yeah, some of you just got that. Um, we all have difficult people in our lives. So that's today. And then next week, what we're going to look at is how to have difficult conversations in the way of Jesus. So this is going to kind of be Jesus taking us into the relationship hospital where we're going to get healed up from all of them. You're like, I'm actually the difficult person in my life. I need healing. 
He's going to heal us. And we're going to go to Relationship University and miss those days that we missed out. I was like, I didn't learn how to do that, and I need help. So he's going to help us. We all know that relationships are one of the most meaningful things in our lives. There was a study done recently uh, where they tracked Harvard graduates over 80 years to study what led to a happy or fulfilling life. The number one thing they found was the quality of loving relationships in a person's life was the main contributor to a happy or fulfilled life. Not uh, job achievement, not income level, not physical health, not kind of how their family was. It's the, it's the quality of healthy, loving relationships. We're wired for relationship. And yet we all realize that relationships are very difficult. They're hard. Earlier in the spring, we did an exercise as a church where we uh, look back kind of at our family tree to see what are the strengths that we've kind of inherited from our family and what are some of the weaknesses that run in our family. And though we have people from all different places, all different backgrounds, different income levels, different education levels, different ages, one of the things that I imagine we all have in common is when we look back at our family tree, we can see that relationships are hard, that there's a brokenness, there's a strain, there's someone back there is divorced, right? Uh, there might be another part of the family tree where it's like, oh, that person doesn't talk to that person anymore. Or when they do, it's really awkward and everybody just tries to go hide in the other room. We don't really know what happened to that side of the family tree. They don't come around. We've all got those things. Relationships are hard. And there's difficulty and there's strain. And so we need equipping. We need training. How do we do healthy loving relationships. And in particular, Jesus takes us today to how do we deal with difficult people in our lives. So let's read. We're going to read his teaching, and then we're going to kind of take it apart. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus speaking, and he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive credit, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, as we read this, you read that and you're like, man, that is so inspiring. Like, love your enemies. Jesus, you're so cool. Like, that's awesome, right? You get motivated. And at the same time, at least I found, and I want to see if you have too, there's a tension uh, that comes up within me. Because I read those things and I'm like, ah, that's cool for you, Jesus. I just don't know that I want to live that way, if I'm really honest. Like, I try and avoid getting punched in the face. And so if you're telling me to get punched in the face, but then turn mother cheek to get punched again, 
I don't know. I don't like having my stuff taken. I don't like having people use me. I don't like having enemies or people that abuse me. I don't know that I want to go this way. There's a, a tension. Funny story. Uh, this week, I was driving in a parking lot here in Dallas, and I try during the, during the week to go over my sermon. It's not the only time I go over it, but just while I'm driving, talking it out. So if you see me driving around and I'm talking, that's what's going on. So I'm going over this sermon, and I'm going over this scripture, and I'm just getting touched by the Lord. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I, I want to be a person that loves my enemies. That is so cool. Now, I'm in a stop sign in the parking lot, and there's a little, you know, traffic is backed up. I think it was on that day that 75 was just shut down. And so traffic's backed up a little bit, but I'm not, it's my turn to go, but I'm not going because I'm trying to leave the four-way stop open for traffic to go, you know, side to side. Well, I meditate on this verse. I'm so touched. I'm, I'm, I'm just mad. And then this car uh, goes, when it's my turn, they go. And they cut me off uh, when they shouldn't have. And they pull out. And then they do the deal. And you've all seen this where they don't look at you. You know when you've done something wrong when you're driving and you're saying, I'm just not going to look at the person. I just cut off. He didn't look at me. I'm getting touched by the Lord. And then this happens. And I'm like, how dare he? I'm going to like step on the gas and I'm going to get up right by him. And then I start to laugh at the irony of this situation that here I am meditating on what to do when people mistreat you. And I'm ready to run over the guy that cut me off. Like it's kind of like we're just bipolar on this issue, right? Uh, I heard one pastor say, you know, when you come to the Bible, often you bring a highlighter to highlight those parts that are inspiring. You're like, ooh, I like that. That's so cool, right? When we come to teachings like this, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, instead of bringing our highlighter, it's tempting to bring our Sharpie. Instead of like highlighting what we want to remember, we want to mark out those parts. They're like, I don't know that I want to do that. Mark Twain, the famous author, said it's not the parts of the Bible that he didn't understand that were a problem to him. It was the parts that he did understand that held him back. And I wonder if he was talking about this passage. So, uh, you know, what do we do with this? Do we just kind of move on? Do we do a church deal where we're not on Sunday? Hey, that's cool but we don't live that way, what do we do with this? Well, my hope is that as we study together that you see three particular things. Number one, I want you to see that this passage of Scripture has been an anchor, a guide, a source of strength to people like Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, the author, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, use these scriptures as kind of some of their founding principles, things that they wanted to pass on, and currently they're helping over 2 million people get free from alcohol addiction. So there's been significant movements in the earth that have looked to this as a source of hope and strength. Why is that? I want to show you that. Number two, I want to show you why it's important, not just for like, oh, that's a good idea for them, but why it's important for you and for me to live this way. And number three, I want to show you the surprising secret source of strength that Jesus points to that empowers us to live in this manner. So let's go through the text together. We are going to start in verse 27. This is recorded in Luke, but it's also recorded in Matthew. And I'm going to hold them up for you side by side so you can see them together and we're going to learn from them. So in Luke, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. Verse 38. In Matthew, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So as Jesus starts on this teaching, you've got one introduction, you've got another, right? He gave this teaching over and over and over again. And if you've ever taught anything, you realize you rarely teach it exactly the same way twice. What I find this helpful, though, is if we look at Matthew to help us understand Luke. So Jesus starts out saying, starts out saying you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What's he talking about there? He's referencing an Old Testament command that God gave to his people that was to mark them. I want to tell you a little bit about that. Uh, mankind, the world around us, we are uh, dominated by what Frederick Nietzsche called a will to power. I mean, there's an insatiable longing within us all to conquer, to achieve, to amass, to win. Uh, and we do that often at the expense of others. So if you bring a bunch of people with a strong will to power into a community, it works well for the rich. It works well for the powerful. It works well for the beautiful. But if you're from the wrong side of the tracks, if you're from the wrong family, if you don't have the money or you don't have the looks or you don't have the popularity or you don't have the strength, right, you end up having the haves and the have-nots. And you have this dysfunction within the community where some people can get way ahead but it comes on the backs of those who are uh, taken advantage of. It becomes a community marked by injustice. And this is the world, this is mankind left unchecked. And you can look around and just think about it. You're like, oh yeah, that's definitely true. Even though we've had more technological advances, the 20th century was the most bloody century in violent conflict in the history of the world. Right? So we see that this is true about who we are. God, though, desires to build a new people. He desires to heal that which is broken, to free that which is bound, to make a new people that wouldn't be marked by injustice, but we marked by justice, love, and opportunity for people to flourish. So God brings people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery. He's going to make them into a new community, new relationships, a new way of doing life, and that through this new community, the rest of the world will be able to see the goodness and the saving power of God and say, man, we want to follow God too. That was the plan. So God issued, he gave to his people in Leviticus, and I want to pull that scripture up for you. Leviticus 24, 17, he issues this command related to an eye for an eye. And he says this, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Now imagine you are a widow and you have an unjust landlord that doesn't take care of the property that you're in, but takes your money and your property just keeps getting run down and run down and run down. And you're spending your last kind of money, trying to pay rent, trying to make it through, and you've got this unjust landlord. In, in, in life, before this command, you had no recourse. You just became a doormat. You just get run over, and there's nothing you can do about it. Or imagine you're an employee, and your employer changes your compensation agreement every month, depending on whatever favors him or her. Before a law like this, you have nothing you can do 
about it. If you're strong, maybe you can succeed, but most of us are going to get run over in the process. So when this law was given, you know what you would have heard? You would have heard, wow, what a gift of mercy. For the first time, there's accountability on the community for all. It's not might makes right. It's not he who has the gold makes the rules. But there is a system of justice that will hold my crooked landlord accountable. That will hold my crooked boss accountable. This means there's opportunity for all. So if you were poor, you were weak, you were marginalized, you were a foreigner, you were from the wrong side of tracks, you hear this and you're like, God is so merciful and so for me. He's made a way where there wasn't a way for me and my family to prosper. And if you were rich and you were powerful, this was a gift of mercy to you because it would put a check on the unchecked will to power and say life is more about than just amassing whatever you know, ladder you're trying to climb. Life is about character and justice and honor. And he would call people to that. What a gift of mercy. What a good thing. But as you probably realize, we humans have an incredible capacity to take good things and to twist them and turn them into uh, weapons of destruction. And so what happened? Instead of being a gift of mercy, we lost the spirit of love that was behind this law, and it became a spirit of retaliation. That's probably the context that you've heard eye for an eye for before, right? You punch me, I punch you. You steal from me, I steal from you. You wrong me, I wrong you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And it became a weapon of revenge. So what was meant for good, right, gets twisted by corrupt humans like you and me and our pride, our greed, our anger, our will to power. And Jesus comes in and as he's speaking, he's saying, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So he's referencing this good law that's gotten so twisted. And he's not abolishing the law, he's fulfilling the law. He said, I'm building on that system of justice, but I'm going to speak to your heart. I'm going to speak to the spirit from which you operate. And this is so important. If you're not a Christian, what I want you to realize is Jesus is giving a teaching here, but it's a teaching with context. It's not just like a rule that's like, I'm going to go out and try really hard and do this. No, no, no. He's come not only to give a new way, but to give new hearts and new spirits. So he's come not just to deal with the externals and give some rules, but he's addressing one of our major problems, which is our heart, our sinful, corrupt hearts. And he's offering a clean heart, a new heart, and a new spirit to go with it. And so if you are a non-Christian and you're trying to figure out what Jesus is all about, I want you to know he wants to give you a new life. The Bible calls it being born again. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to take your heart of stone that's marked by greed and pride and those sort of things. And he wants to give you a tender heart, a pure heart, a heart with life inside of it. And he wants to lead you in a new way. And you access that by repenting, by saying, I don't want to go my own way anymore. Jesus, I want to go your way. And when you do that, something just uh, spiritual like birth happens inside of you. It's powerful. It's amazing. And that's available to you today. If you're a Christian, I want to remind you, this teaching is not just go out this week and try and grit your teeth and do it. No, this teaching is the fruit of this new work of grace that God is doing inside of you. It's a fruit of the new heart and the new spirit. And God wants to grow it and make you into this type of person. 
So Jesus says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So pause there. When we read that phrase, do not resist, and we've read through it talking about turning the other cheek and having your stuff taken, you wonder, okay, so is this new work that God is doing, do I become a doormat? Is that what it means, that I just let people run over me, let people take advantage of me? Is that really the godly thing to do? Do I become a punching bag for whoever in my life is just against me? Do I become a doormat that's just run over? Right? You probably have those thoughts. I have those thoughts. But what I want to show you is that when Jesus is saying this, do not resist the one who is evil, the word we translate resist actually has a rich history. It's not a word that's just face value. It's actually a word meant when armies would go out to battle. That's the word. When you would gather your soldiers, you would gather your weapons, and you would line up for war. That's the way that it was used in Jesus' context. So what Jesus is saying is when someone does evil to you, when there's an evil one, when there's a difficult person in your life that's coming against you, I don't want you to resist by putting on your armor, getting your weapons, going out to war. I don't want you to resist violently. I don't don't want you to retaliate in the same spirit. right? So he's not calling us to be doormats. But he's also not calling us to be rebels. He's going to introduce a new way that we will see. So in Luke 6, 29, it says, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other side also. Matthew tells it, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That phrase, slaps you on the right cheek, had a very specific connotation in Jesus' day. It wasn't something that happened halfway around the world. It wasn't, oh, there's ISIS and they're against us and we, you know, we should love our enemies. It wasn't far off. It was near. The, the, the slap on the cheek, the back slap, was a sign from superior in society to an inferior. Think your boss to you or maybe uh, this kind of people group to you or, or your neighbors that kind of act stuck up to you, or whatever it may be, it was a superior, or someone that thought they were superior, to an inferior. You would backslap them to put them in their place. Punches were for equals. Backslaps were for a superior to an inferior. So Jesus is saying, hey, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, traditionally there's two responses. One, roll over and take it. Just become a doormat. Or two, Get angry about it. Gather your troops, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you for disrespecting me like that. Traditionally, the only two options. Jesus introduces a new way. When someone slaps you on the cheek, I want you to turn the other cheek. When they slap you on the right cheek, I want you to turn the other cheek. Now, to make sure that you get this, in Jewish culture, your left hand was unclean. It was what you used for the restroom. Right? So if you came to lunch with a bunch of people and someone's using their left hand with the food, you're like, ooh, I don't think I'm hungry anymore. You get the idea? So you wouldn't punch with your left hand. You wouldn't shake with your left hand. You wouldn't eat with your left hand. It was unclean. So that leaves your right hand, right? So with your right hand to, to hit someone's right cheek, it's not a punch you can give. It is the back slap. When Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek, what you are doing is saying, I'm turning the cheek that you would actually punch instead of slap. 
If anyone, if you're struggling on how, what this looks like, go try it in the parking lot after church. You can say, my pastor told me. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't tell your parents I said that. You get the idea, though. Turning the other cheek was then saying, oh, instead of treating me as a superior to an inferior, you're going to treat me as an equal. Punches were for equals. I'm made in the image of God. So instead of responding with, I'm a doormat and I just need to take it and God just wants me to take it and you're right, I'm wrong. Or instead of responding with, I'm going to get you, I'm going to come after you, you receive the injustice done. You don't respond with violence, but you also don't respond with cowering. You turn the other cheek. You say, I'm made in the image of God. You've done evil to me. You've done injustice to me, but I'm not going to respond in the same spirit to you. I'm going to release a creative third way into the system. Now, that might get you beaten. Like your boss or your master or whatever may not like that, but something new has been released into the relational dynamic. It's a creative third way. It's not done in an arrogant spirit. It's done in a spirit of humility, but it's done in a spirit of honor. Something new is being released. Let's keep going. In verse 29, Jesus says, if from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. In, in Matthew, it says it like this. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Again, what we see here is we see someone abusing someone else, taking from them wrongfully, suing them over an issue. Okay? Difficult people. You and I have them in our lives. Jesus is talking about this. The system was, in, in, in Jesus' time, uh, people were racked and riddled with debt. They were up to their eyeballs in debt. And when you couldn't pay back one of your lenders, they would sue you, and they would take you to court for the only things you had, which was your tunic and your cloak. If you were Jewish, you wore two items of clothing and only two items of clothing, your tunic and your cloak. So they would take you and essentially sue you for the shirt off your back. You get the idea. So Jesus is saying, all right, when they sue you, don't retaliate in violence against them and cause an insurrection. That was going on all the time in Jesus' day. But also, you're not a doormat to be run over by an unjust system. Go to court. They're taking your tunic. Give them your tunic. But give them your cloak also. Think about that one for a minute. You only wear two items of clothing. You're giving away your tunic, and you're giving away your cloak, and you're standing in court completely naked. You think that's a little shock to the system, right? Wow, and in Jewish culture, looking at someone who was naked was not a shame on them. It was a shame on you. It was a shame for you to see someone, to expose someone's nakedness. So again, instead of retaliating with violence or instead of being run over, Jesus is offering a creative third option to both address that this is an unjust system and to do it in a way that wasn't killing someone or being run over, but it releases a creative third option into the community. Matthew 5.41, it's not contained in Luke. It says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What does this mean? Well, Jews live right next to Romans, so think your neighbors. And Romans, as their armies were moving around, they would recruit Jews to carry their stuff. So a Roman, if you're a Jew, a Roman could come up to you and say, hey, I need to go over to Irving. I need you to carry my stuff for me, my gear, and I'm just going to walk, and you're going to carry it for me. And if you were a Jew, you had to do that. So think in your own life of someone 
who's always taking advantage of you, who's asking you or even commanding you, you need to do this for me. Not, against, not, not from your free will, but you're compelled to do this. Okay? Probably all have someone like that. So what's really going on here? Uh, there, was a, there was a law, though, that though Romans could have Jews carry their stuff, they could only have them carry it one mile. Beyond that was against the law. So if a Roman were to ask you to carry your stuff, you carry it one mile, and you say, hey, you know what? Let me carry it two miles. What you're risking and what the Roman would think is, is this person trying to get me in trouble with my commanding officer? Because I'm not supposed to let him carry it or her carry it longer than one mile. Why are they offering to do this? Right? So an unjust situation where you don't respond in violence and say, I'm going to overthrow the Roman government, but you also don't get run over, you release a creative third option that's disarming. And like, what do I even do with that? So you begin to see the type of person that Jesus is building is not ruled by retaliation, is not ruled by being run over, but is a person of dignity and substance and character and thoughtfulness that doesn't just respond with a spirit that someone else kind of comes at you with, but is releasing a spirit of honor, honoring God and honoring people, a spirit of love and a creative new way into the community. Kind of get the picture. We could go through more, but I think you get the idea of what Jesus is talking about. Now, this is significant because this is why uh, those revolutionary leaders said this was so meaningful. I want to read to you from Martin Luther King Jr. based off this scripture, why it was so inspiring to him and to others. He said, why should we love our enemies? The first reason is fairly obvious. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. Toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admonition. Have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken, or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. So what King was saying is if we continue to go on, retaliation for retaliation, retaliation for retaliation, what we're going to end up is we're going to destroy all of us. And in a day of nuclear proliferation and one world leader away from just getting offended and pressing a button that blows up everyone, I'd say his words are very true. And what he saw in the way of Jesus was a way of speaking out against injustice and working with difficult people, but not working with them, not relating to them in a spirit of hate motivated by retaliation or being run over and just say, well, I guess I just got to take it. But Jesus calling us to a new third way of creative love. And King said it's in this and embracing this that we actually have hope for the world to change the world, and save ourselves because it's light that drives out darkness. It's love that drives out hate. That's why it was so powerful to so many. Now, why should you embrace this? Why do you need this? Like, that's a great idea for the world, but what about you? King goes on. He said, but there's another side which we must never overlook. Hate is just as injurious to the person who hates. Catch that. Hate is just as injurious 
to the person who hates. So someone does injustice to you, hatred comes up in your heart, not only wounds them, but it also wounds you. Like, a, like an unchecked cancer, hate corrodes the personality and eats away at its vital unity. Hate destroys a man's sense of values and his objectivity. It causes him to describe the beautiful as ugly and the ugly as beautiful and to confuse the true with the false and the false with the true. So King is also saying, if we don't grow in this, if we don't pursue this way, not only are we going to destroy everyone, but we're going to be eaten alive ourselves by hatred, by bitterness, by anger, uh, all of those things. There's a, a man who's very influential, an Alcoholics Anonymous, who took the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount like this and said this phrase, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Think about that. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. You get the idea? Oh, you did this to me. Okay, I'm going to drink poison myself. And then I'm going to wait for you to die. We'd all be like, what are you talking about, right? But we do that. Someone mistreats us. Man, I'm going I'm to get even. I'm going to get back. I'm going to treat them like this. I'm going to put them in their place, right? And it's our own souls that are corroded. So we need this for the world, but you need this for you. I need this way for me. Now, a couple of things that I want to point out to you if we were to take this and implement it. Number one, none of these guarantees that the situation is going to work out positively in that moment. It's not do this, do this, and then everything is going to be fine. It's not do this, do this, and that difficult person will no longer be difficult. It's not do this, do this, and everything is going to work out the way you want it to. Jesus, who is teaching this way, is martyred for living this way. So what I want to say is as you're taking this in, this is not I'm going to go and this is going to fix all of my problems today. That's a very American way of thinking, and I would hope for all of us that it does fix our problems. But biblical discipleship is not just what's pragmatic and solves the issue. We're being transformed into the image of God. And so I just want to say, as you take this and apply this, if you did, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to turn the other cheek, and then all of a sudden, my enemy is going to become my friend. It might not happen that way. Second thing that I want to show you is that each of these is a creative response. None of these is face value. And so as you're thinking about the difficult people in your lives, Maybe they're not halfway around the world, but they're halfway around your house or they're halfway around your office or they're halfway around your school or they're halfway around your neighborhood, right? This is going to require creativity from the Lord to teach us how to respond because I doubt you have any Roman soldier coming to you after church saying, can you move my bag a mile? But I bet you have someone in your life that you feel taken advantage by I bet you have someone in your life that you feel is out to get you. I bet you have someone in your life that you feel like puts you down all the time. So God wants to give us creative opportunities not to respond with violence and retaliation or to just get run over, but to release a spirit of love and honor into the relational ecosystem. So how in the world does Jesus say that we do this? What does he point to? It's very surprising what he points to in verse 35. He says, our reason, our, our motivation for doing this is not just because it works, 
not just because we should, but he says this, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. Let's just pause there. Jesus Christ is saying, if you live this way, your reward from God will be great. That should make all of us stop the scroll and be like, whoa, I want a reward from God. I want a great reward from God. I've been thinking about this. I'm like, man, that's so inspiring. God is faithful to his word. And he's saying here, if you live this way, I'm going to reward you for walking in love. That should get some of you excited. You should be like, oh, that's a good one. I'll take that. Second reason, though, is even more of a blowaway to me. Jesus says, and you will be sons of the Most High if you live this way. Now note this. For he, God the Father, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You know what Jesus is saying? The reason that we're to love in this regard is because this is how God has loved us. This is how God treats us. That God is looking for ways to be kind to us even when we're ungrateful. That God is looking for ways to bless us even when we're his enemies. That God is not loving you because you had a good day and you did everything right. No, we are to love this way because God loves this way. When we sing about his reckless love, it's because God doesn't love in a calculated, cold, everything lines up way. But he just loves people like you and like me. And our strength to live this out comes from realizing the depth by which God the Father Loves us. That's the only way. I want to show you a, a picture of my son Jasper. We go to the library quite a bit in our neighborhood. And just we'll leave that up there. Just think of the library. You've got books everywhere. You've got a big aquarium. You've got computers. You've got story time. You've got. We live in Richardson, so it's people from all over the world. So you can hear all sorts of languages in the little children's area. And this guy walks in, and there's always people there, and this is so embarrassing. He walks in, he takes his shoes off, he climbs up on the couch and just lays back while all these people are just going on all around him. It's like, I'm just going to chill here and make myself at home. I want to leave that image with you because what I'm saying is we need to let the love of God be something that we take our shoes off, we lay back on, and we just say, I'm at home. And it's in doing that that we find power to live this new way. Probably not going to happen overnight. I've been pursuing this because I'm not good at this. But as I have done just that, sitting back, receiving the love of God, really pressing into this, I've begun to see change in my life. Like people that I could get down the road with, uh, the road of anger, before I even knew it. Like I'm at 80 before I even, before I even thought about it. I'm finding there's like this resource to just be like, I don't have to respond. When my uh, certain child treats me like that, I don't have to get frustrated. I can release something new into the environment. It's awesome. So how do we trust the process this week? I'm going to close with these things. Three ways that you could trust the process in this regard. Number one, receive Jesus. If you're not a Christian, again, it starts with a relationship with Jesus, a new heart, a clean spirit. And we want to give you an opportunity today to turn from your sin, to repent, say, Jesus, I need you. 
And we're a community that believes in helping people come to know Jesus. So at the end, we're going to have a ministry time. You can come forward, and our prayer and prophetic team would love to help you, pray with you, and help you take steps in this new relationship with God. That's number one. So if you're not a Christian, that's your step to trust the process this week. If you are a Christian, number two, I want you to sink deep in the love of God for you. I want you to receive God's love that's kind to you even when you don't deserve it. That God's looking for ways to be generous to you even when you're his enemy. That's how God is. So how do you do that? When you prioritize like you've done today, coming week in and week out to gatherings like this, you're building consistency in your relationship with God. Where for however long we're here, you're being fed by God's word and by his spirit about his love for you. And that changes you over time. It changes you. And I want to invite you to take this into the other 167 hours in the week where you are taking in God's love, taking time to remember and to meditate on God's love for you. Sink deep. Number three, take action. Put these verses as the screensaver on your phone. We all look at our phones so much. Rather than some picture that you got on there, put these verses that Jesus is talking about. It will help you remember And then I want you to take action this week. I want you to do something to love a difficult person in your life. I want you to do something that doesn't respond with retaliation, doesn't respond as a doormat, but releases love into the system. And I bet every single one of us has someone that we can think of right now that's difficult in our lives that we can take this step for the sake of the world, for the sake of you and me, for the sake of this reward from God, and to reflect the goodness and the grace of God to all around us. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close with prayer. Our prayer and prophetic team will be available. We want to minister to anyone who you know, man, I need prayer for this relationship because it is very challenging. We want to minister to people that want to receive Jesus. Number three, as we were praying before, if you have lower back pain that's radiating in your sides, we believe God wants to heal that today. In Jesus' name, and if you have been wounded by an old friendship that you feel like you can't move on from, we believe God is releasing people from old, broken relationships to live a new way today. So I'm going to pray if our team can come forward and we'll dismiss. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you love us like crazy, God, that you look for ways to bless us even when we're uh, unlovely, that you look to ways to be kind to us even when we're your enemies, Lord. And I pray that we'd sink deep in this love, Lord, and that we would be empowered not to respond in retaliation, not to be run over, but to release a creative expression of love into our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.